I think in the earlier stages, I would definitely spend some time on that. And I think it also depends on their goal. Welcome to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we will discuss all things related to physical preparation, including rehab, performance, and education. Hey guys, welcome back to Training Room Talk powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. My name is Dr. Max LePage, and I am here with Dr. Troy Cuck. How's it going, guys? And we're going to talk a little bit about um, lower body pulling movements. Uh, this is part of our Return from Rehab series where we're talking a little bit about modifications that you can make to lower body pull movements. Um, that would be things that people would generally classify as like a hip hinge, a deadlift, RDL, conventional deadlift, whatever hinge pattern you're, you're thinking of kind of falls under that category of lower body pull. Um, and we're going to be talking about either how to return to training after rehabbing an injury related to kind of that movement pattern or that was symptomatic throughout that movement pattern or just modifying training in general how to maybe select exercises a little bit more strategically to allow you to perform those movements with either a better training effect or without resensitizing any painful structures or painful areas that you are kind of trying to work around. So um, in general, I think that it's probably fair to say, and Troy, you can give me your input on this, that when you when most people think of pain or limitations that stop them from sufficiently loading a lower body pull movement i feel like at most scenarios we're thinking of low back pain would you say that is true i'd say that'd probably be the most common yeah apart from low back pain you can obviously there's obviously a ton of things that could limit you from performing a pull movement um generally like hip pathology will be a little bit more symptomatic with a squat pattern uh, I would generally say the same thing for any kind of knee pain or knee sensitivity mm -hmm. um, and probably ankle pain too. So when we're thinking about things that may limit you from pulling um, weight from the floor, generally low back pain is the, the most common thing. Can you think of any other uh, things that would limit someone from like performing lower body pull motions or movements? I've, I'm in the same boat as you. I definitely think it's more low back that's going to be limiting just because you know, the legs are staying relatively still as the trunk is kind of hinging over with the hips. So yeah, I'd say the, the hip and the knee pathologies would probably come out more in squat than a pull or hinge dominant movement. Yeah, so we're gonna be framing this discussion kind of around uh, low back pain in terms of how to manage that with those hinge type pattern movements. I think the disclaimer is important to note that, look, you can have other injuries that might limit you from that movement. And we can only kind of speak on um, the, the topic from a general standpoint. Obviously, we can't give specific recommendations for individual injuries. Um, and everything we're saying is in the context of recognizing that if you are having pain that's limiting you from exercising, um, and li limiting you significantly from performing kind of your day-to-day -day stuff, you should seek the guidance of a healthcare provider or us. Um, and, and then that'll put you kind of on the right track or, or hopefully give you some valuable insight. Um, so Troy, talk me through a little bit about someone comes to you and they say like, hey man, I just got through some back pain that I'm, I've been feeling the last few weeks. I'm trying to get back to training. 
I don't feel like I'm, I'm in a position to start deadlifting 100%. What are some thoughts that just immediately pop into your mind when that person walks up? So the first thing I would like to see is what does their hinge pattern even look like? Um, I would probably start with ha- just having them touch their toes and just seeing if they are able to get a good posterior weight shift back onto their heels, how much lumbar flexion is going on, how much mobility is going on in the hamstrings. And I would start there and just kind of assess all that. Then maybe I would start off with something real simple like an elevated kettlebell deadlift and just see what their hinging and deadlift pattern looks like. And then from there, it's going to kind of push me down one tunnel or the other. How are we going to address this? Um, Some of the like real lower level stuff, I'll start with that. I would go with is maybe like butt taps against the wall or just hinging with the PVC just to kind of get that hinging pattern down. And then as that starts looking good, they're able to control it. Then maybe we'll take things a step back and go with like an elevated kettlebell deadlift where, you know, little um, range of motions limited a little or is uh, taken back a little bit. The demands for going down as far aren't there. So they're able to do it in more controlled fashion. It's a kettlebell, usually pretty light. Um, and everything's staying nice and close to the body. So as far as a technique demand and range of motion demand, it's a little bit lower. So just kind of starting there, going back to the basics. How important do you feel like it is? So this is a hot topic, right? So mm-hmm. uh, how much does it matter whether or not that someone has spinal flexion or extension when they perform a deadlift? You see Olympic weightlifters who slam themselves into extension and they're thinking about arching their back as much as possible. Then you see some high-level power lifters deadlift with a particularly rounded back, and you see some of that research that comes out where it's like, hey, even with a neutral-looking spine, you're probably still getting 50 or so percent of your available lumbar flexion anyway. So how much do you, how much emphasis do you place on the way that the deadlift looks when someone's either starting, like getting back into deadlifting or coming off a low back injury? What are your thoughts on that? I think it depends on the situation like with everything, but um, if they're coming to me for back pain with deadlifting, maybe I'll pay a little bit more attention to that if they are kind of diving into a lot of lumbopelvic flexion and they're losing that kind of neutral or extended position, then maybe I'll spend a little more time with that with with a PVC pipe or something like that to help maintain that. Um, you know, it could also be more of a stability thing. So maybe I'll look at their kind of bracing mechanics. Are they able to brace while they're moving and seeing if they're able to create sufficient stability around the pelvis and the spine while they're going through that movement. So if you get someone to the point that they say they, they no longer have pain and they're deadlifting in a way that maybe you wouldn't look ideal, like a little bit more flexed position, kind of losing some neutral, maybe they're they're starting in flexed and then they stand all the way up and now they're extended, but they don't have pain anymore. Um, are you still trying to kind of coach someone away from that? Or is there a point in time where you say like, hey, this is maybe just kind of how your body moves and let's just dose the load appropriately to get this position stronger for you? Are you really like focused on getting them into the quote unquote better position? I think in the earlier stages, I would definitely spend some time on that. And I think it also depends on their goal. If their goal is just to, you know, kind of general strengthening, just keeping things moving, then we can stay at a lighter load and I'm not as worried about that. 
if we're going for like max performance, like powerlifting, something like that, you are losing some efficiency, kind of changing that spinal moment. So maybe there we would spend a little bit more time and obviously there would be higher loads, higher weights and a greater risk of injury. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like this is where I always in this discussion, I, I feel like it's important to delineate between are we talking about performance or are we talking about pain? When we're talking about pain, I think that it's fair to say that we have a lot less evidence or a lot less of a base to stand on if we're going to make claims about a certain pattern relating to the presence of pain, right? Because pain can change without the pattern changing or the pattern can change and that has no effect on their pain. So it's difficult to connect any looking deadlift to discomfort. But I agree that when, when you start to think about performance, that's a little bit different of a conversation because at that point, like biomechanics do tend to start to matter more than they may have when we're talking about the experience of pain, which tends to be like multifactorial and have a lot of layers to it. And when it comes to performance, I think that in my experience coaching folks, uh, again, this is like an area that there just isn't a ton of research on. So you do have to consider the coaching eye and the coaching experience to have a little bit more value in terms of informing that position. But I have found that when people have the goal of performance, it is generally beneficial for them to learn how to hinge well and to learn how to dissociate what is kind of spinal movement versus what is hip flexion like am i bending forward from my quote unquote back or from my hips um, and i have personally always found that to be beneficial in my own training because i found that when i'm better able to hinge i can feel my glutes activate a little bit more i can feel my hamstrings activate a little bit more are they producing more force i don't know but my own awareness of kind of where my body is in space, I feel like benefits my performance. And I found the same thing with clients in the past where I'm not necessarily tempted to change their technique exclusively for the pain experience. Maybe that is part of it. If I think they're not, they're moving in a way that's not optimal given kind of the distribution of the load and that might be contributing to symptoms. But on the performance side, I feel like it is definitely worth exploring some you know different ways of moving and usually the way of moving that tends to produce consistently you know robust results is learning how to hinge learning how to um, keep somewhat of a neutral spine and i go I, people freak out when you say the word neutral but um what's neutral <laughs> yeah exactly what is it but so i agree that um, the performance side of things tends to be a little bit more important. And I think I go a similar way that you do when someone comes in, even though I recognize that I don't necessarily need to change the way that a deadlift looks to get rid of pain. I still want to do it from a performance standpoint. And the PVC pipe on the back tends to be my first kind of go to just to start to illuminate the concept a little bit. So if someone's listening, they are trying to get back to deadlifting or trying to get back to a hinge pattern and haven't say tried to go through a hip hinge, go through a deadlift pattern or an RDL pattern. 
with a PVC pipe on their back. I generally say three points of contact, the back of the head, kind of between the shoulder blades and like your tailbone um, and maintaining that throughout the range of a deadlift. That tends to be a, a useful drill, even if it's just something you throw into a warm up and you're not investing a ton of time in, uh, but just to kind of grease a groove there. And then you said that you tend to like to use a kettlebell elevated on a surface. So it's a reduction in range of motion, almost like a block pull. Right. Um, what are some of the things that you think about in terms of the height of the box for the kettlebell elevation? Um, and then maybe some cues that you would tell someone as they're going through that movement, trying to learn a little bit more of an optimal deadlift pattern. So I think the height of the box, we'll start with that one. It all depends on how their hinge looks. So maybe their toe touch, how that looks when they have the PVC pipe on the back, how far they're able to make it down until we, the form kind of starts going away. We start getting into that lumbopelvic flexion. We start losing some control. So that's going to help me dictate how high the box should be. And then also how tall the person is. If it's a shorter person, we can probably go with a lower box, maybe even from the floor. If they're a little taller than maybe a higher box. Generally, I start around four inches, I would say, for the box to put the kettlebell on. Um, and then for the cueing, and obviously the progression is, you know, use a four-inch box and then drop it down. Maybe a two-inch box off the floor. And But the goal is to eventually pull off the ground and not need a box. As far as cueing goes, um, especially in the early stages, I really try and harp on keeping the kettlebell, trap bar, whatever it is you're deadlifting, keeping it close to the body and keeping a vertical pattern. So that kind of keeps everything tight in line, keeps everything biomechanically optimal. Then I also like to get the hips involved and I like to cue like tearing the floor in between your feet apart, um, breaking the bar, kind of getting the whole lats, getting the stability through the hips, through the lats in the back and really cueing that. I also like to cue driving away from the floor when you're coming up, like pushing the floor away with your feet as opposed to lifting something up. I feel like that helps people engage their posterior chain a lot better than just lifting it up. So say you have someone who is kind of used to deadlifting to some degree, maybe they're a CrossFitter, a power lifter, and they're like, okay, Troy, I started deadlifting again last week and I'm using a kettlebell. I've worked my way down from an elevation to the floor. I feel fine. I feel like my technique is fairly good. Uh, but the kettlebell that I have just doesn't go like I, I the heaviest I have is a 50, 55 pound. Right. And you want to go progress to the next step. What tends to be going from the kettlebell? What do you go to next in your kind of selection in general? So my progression is the kettlebell, obviously you're capped out with weight with the kettlebell usually. And then my next one, I like to go to a trap bar. Still able to, you're standing within the weight, so you're still able to keep it very close to the body, hands are on the outside. I like to go with that. If you need to, since you are progressing the difficulty of the, the you're increasing your weight from the kettlebell and you're it's a new motor pattern. Maybe I'll elevate the trap bar a little bit, throw a few mats underneath that to elevate that and work back down if needed. If not, we'll pull that from the ground and then I'll start working towards a barbell if that's our ultimate goal is to get back to a barbell pull. Yeah, so I, I think that honestly the trap bar seems to be, at least in the, the barbell sports world, like powerlifting, 
CrossFit and weightlifting specifically, those three sports tend to be so highly specialized in their exercise selection that I don't think I ever see really a powerlifter, weightlifter, or crossfitter use a trap bar, almost ever. Right. Um, it, their sport is a straight bar, so there's this idea that if they don't use a straight bar, they're going to completely somehow forget how to deadlift. Um, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of the trap bar as well because, like you said, the center of the weight, it coincides with the your midline or the center of your body um, rather than that weight being pitched out in front of you. So when you think about the amount of torque that is on your kind of hips and your lumbar spine tends to be a little less with that weight closer to that axis of rotation or closer to your hips. So the trap bar tends to be a better option if you're coming off of um, having a little bit more sensitivity to loading that area. So it, it allows you to um, progress back towards that. So say now you have someone they deadlifted with a kettlebell. They were on an elevated surface, worked their way down to the floor. The weight wasn't enough, so they moved on to the trap bar. Maybe they started with that a little bit elevated. Now they progress that down to the floor and say they're hitting trap bar deadlifts with anywhere between 135 up to kind of 225 or, or whatever weight. Um, and they want to go back to a barbell. Is there something that you would put in between that progression of kettlebell, trap bar, and then something before barbell or you would you transition someone from the trap bar then to a barbell straight off the floor or how would you work them back to that um you definitely could go right to the bar just like you did with the trap bar you could elevate the barbell and you could work your way down from that um you could also go like a sumo deadlift and then work towards the more conventional deadlift for me the conventional deadlift is going to be your most difficult pull from a technique demand standpoint. What are your thoughts on that? Um, conventional versus sumo? Yeah. Um, this is a tough one. I think that in general, when you think of someone who has like low back, a history of low back pain or current kind of low back pain experience, the conventional deadlift I think tends to have a little bit more risk of flaring them up or more risk of at least early on resensitizing things. The sumo deadlift though, from a powerlifting standpoint, I will say requires more finesse in the technique mm -hmm. than conventional. But for someone whose goal is exclusively to start to reintroduce some load, a sumo deadlift might be a better option even even though the movement might require a little bit more finesse, uh, I think that the risk is a little bit lower in terms of the risk of you resensitizing things. So um, I think for the decision between conventional and sumo, I, someone who has that sensitivity may just need to pull conventional with more realistic expectations that we might not be able to progress load as quickly as if you start to pull sumo, maybe you get back up to your kind of pre-injury or pre-pain uh, you know, pre levels a little bit more quickly. Like I've had even my own personal training experience where um, I've had low back tweaks and I've been out to the point that like I, I was having a lot of pain, even just getting socks on back in, in college. There was a, a point specifically that I'm thinking of. Um, and it did take me a considerable amount of time before I could pull conventional with no discomfort whatsoever. 
but I was able to pull sumo in the fours and fives with zero pain just because that movement didn't seem to load that area of my body quite as much and I was able to tolerate that pretty easily. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I've in I've had people who struggled hardcore with sumo mm-hmm. and conventional just felt much more natural to them and vice versa. I think the thing with sumo is that in order to have your feet at a fairly wide stance you just have to have pretty flexible hips um and the last thing you want is someone who comes in with low back pain you start pulling sumo maybe being a little too aggressive or overzealous with the stance width and then they start developing like some anterior hip pain because they're just not used to tolerating those loads right um so yeah there there those are a few considerations but in terms of um getting back to hinge motions in general i think that there's a lot of ways that you can go about that um i tend to go in a similar you know pattern as you where i would introduce it with a kettlebell on an elevated surface progress that down to the ground progress the load up concurrently transition over to something like a trap bar deadlift or a sumo deadlift and then given that those are a little bit closer to your center of gravity a little bit closer to your hips doesn't introduce quite as much load to that region. So you'll probably be able to progress those from uh, blocks or from a heightened surface down to the ground and progress up and load fairly quickly and then transitioning to a conventional deadlift if that's something that you want to do specifically. You don't ever have to conventional deadlift if you don't want to. I think that many athletes could just get away with doing trap bar deadlifts pretty much forever and there's no real reason that they have to do conventional deadlifts um, if it's not part of their sport, like if they're not a weightlifter um, competitively. But those are those are certainly the ways that I would go about it. Elevating the surface, changing the implement, bringing it a little bit closer to your center of gravity, progressing that load back to the floor and increasing in the intensity, um, and then getting to the point where you kind of slowly and progressively reintroduce a barbell deadlift in a conventional stance with appropriate dosage to make sure that you're recovering from that and then obviously doing all the other injury stuff that you want to do with um, nutrition hydration sleep to support that process of you getting back and making sure you're recovering from training um, and seeking out the help of a qualified healthcare professional or physical therapist if you find that uh, you're kind of stalling in your progress I think it's also important to touch on for this talk, um, bilateral versus unilateral too. So, you know, if the goal is to get back to improving strength with pulls, then going with bilateral. If we're working on a strength and balance, say we had an injured leg or whatever it may be, and we're getting back into it now, we have some strength imbalances, um, then maybe we switch up to a unilateral thing. So maybe like a split stance RDL or just a single leg RDL. If our goal is still strengthening, but we want to work on imbalances, maybe a more um, rear foot into the wall or a split stance, keeping the back leg with the kickstand so we're still able to progress the load, work strength. If we're working on stability too, then maybe we go towards a single leg RDL and let the back leg come up into the air working on that. Yeah, that, and that's that's a good point, too, because we're obviously talking in the context of, like, low back pain, perfectly symmetrical pain on either side. And the reality is if you had a pulled hamstring, um, 
probably you're going to be lagging a little bit on your hinge pattern on that one side relative to the other, which might not show up very well on a barbell deadlift or trap bar or kettlebell deadlift or any of those variations. So including some single leg stance work, um, like Troy said, is probably going to be uh, a good a, a necessary part of reintroducing even bilateral movements because that will highlight a little bit more of the deficits that might be um, occurring from one side to the other, which you'd probably be best off clearing up before introducing too much bilateral stuff and, and progressing the load there. So um, that is a very good point. Anything else for the people, Troy? I think that is it for today. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed this kind of portion of the talk. Obviously, we could talk for hours on this, um, reintroducing deadlifts after low back injury or any other injury. Uh, if there's any questions, feel free to reach out to me at max at precisionperformancept.com or on Instagram um, at maxlepage.dpt. And you can always find Precision Performance Physical Therapy on all the social media. And then, Troy, what's your social media or email? It is troy.cuck.dpt for Instagram. And email is troy at precisionperformancept.com. Cool. So if you have any questions, reach out to us. Otherwise, we hope you guys are staying safe, staying healthy. And we will talk to you guys in the next one. Bye. Did you know we now offer personalized remote programming? one-on-one video telehealth sessions and mentorships for both students and professionals. If you're interested in any one of these, please email John at J-O-N at precisionperformancept.com and he can help you get started today.